Hello and welcome to the Night Sky for October. My name is Andrew Jacob and I'm one of the evening guides here at Sydney Observatory. To make the most of this podcast, you'll need to gather a few things together. You'll need one of the star maps, which you can collect from Sydney Observatory's website at www.sydneyobservatory, that's one word, .com, sydneyobservatory.com. Navigate your way through to the Night Sky podcasts and download one of the Sky This Month maps. That map will show you what stars and constellations are in the nighttime sky for October, and I'll be referring to that map during um, this discussion. So as well as the star map, you should gather a few other things. Um, a torch covered with red cellophane is very useful. The red cellophane will allow your eyes to remain dark adapted during the evening, and you'll be able to also read your map. A pair of binoculars can be very handy, and I'll give you a couple of objects later on to, that you'll need the binoculars to see. If you don't have the binoculars or a telescope, don't worry, but they're quite useful. We also need to know um, a couple of directions, north, south, east and west. You can find those for your uh, location from a street directory, or just remember, of course, that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And if the sun is setting on over your right shoulder, then you must be facing south. Another useful direction is the zenith. That's the point directly overhead. A couple of other measurements are useful as well. If you hold your hand out at arm's length and stretch out your finger or little finger and your thumb, they span a distance across the sky of about 15 degrees. This is a useful way of measuring your way across the sky. So a hand span at arm's length is 15 degrees. A fist held out at arm's length makes an angle across the sky of about 10 degrees. One thing you should be aware of for October is that daylight saving begins at 2am on Sunday the 2nd of October. Don't forget to put your clocks forward by an hour on that night. Let's start our tour of the sky by looking towards the south. If you're facing south and you look slightly to the right of south, almost to the southwest, you should be able to see two bright stars, one above the other. If you're in a bright, light polluted location like the city, then they should be very clear. If you're in the countryside, they should also be clear, but there'll be a lot of other fainter stars around which may confuse things. Nevertheless, these two bright stars are one above the other and they're the two pointers, the two famous pointer stars which help us find the Southern Cross in the sky, perhaps the most famous constellation in the Southern Hemisphere. On your star map, they're clearly labelled as the pointers. One of them is Alpha Centauri and the other one is called Beta Centauri. Both of the stars are in the constellation Centaurus. If you draw a line downwards, an imaginary line downwards from Alpha Centauri through Beta Centauri and extend that line down towards the horizon, it should point you straight towards the Southern Cross. It's tipped over on its right-hand side, but otherwise it looks just as it does on the Australian flag. The important thing about the Southern Cross is that it can help us find the, where True South is. If you measure out the long arm of the cross by holding two fingers up from the right-hand star to the left-hand star, and extend the arm of the Southern Cross towards the left by about four times. 
The point you end up at is the South Celestial Pole, the point in the sky about which all the stars are rotating. But there are no bright stars in this area. It's an imaginary point in the sky. Now directly down to the horizon from the South Celestial Pole, if you drop a vertical line straight down to the horizon, you'll find south on the ground. If you were to take a photograph of a part of the sky, including the South Celestial Pole, and leave your camera shutter open for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour maybe, you'd find beautiful circular star trails across your photograph. Now that we've found the distance from the cross, extended the arm of the cross four times to found the South Celestial Pole, use your hand span at arm's length and measure in the same direction another two hand spans beyond that celestial pole position. And you should come across a fairly bright star in the southeast of the sky. This bright star is the star Achenar. It's a hot blue-white star about 144 light years away from us. And it represents the end of the river Eridanus in the sky. The constellation Eridanus, the river, um, represents perhaps in ancient times, the Nile. If you're in a dark location, well away from city lights, you might have noticed, as you were measuring your hand spans across the sky to Achenar, two faint, fuzzy, cloud-like objects. They're located between the South Celestial Pole and the star Achenar. These two hazy clouds are called the Magellanic Clouds. They were first seen by Europeans hundreds of years ago and named for the explorer Magellan. One is slightly larger than the other. The large Magellanic Cloud is about halfway down to the horizon from Achenar, and the smaller Magellanic Cloud is just above that. These are two small galaxies that are orbiting our own Milky Way galaxy, and they're gradually being torn apart uh, as they're absorbed by the Milky Way galaxy. Let's turn to the west. In the western sky, if you're, if you're looking due west, hold out your arm and measure two hand spans above the western horizon. You should reach a bright orange-coloured star. Some people have trouble seeing colours in the stars at night time, so if you don't see the colour, don't worry. Some of you may see it as a deep red colour, some of you may see the star as an orange colour. It's likely to be twinkling as well. This star is a star Antares, which means the rival of Mars because of its red colour. It's an enormous red supergiant star, around about 400 times the diameter of our Sun. If we placed it where our Sun was, it would stretch out through the solar system and engulf the Earth. It's a star on its last legs, coming to the end of its life. It's about 604 light years away from the Earth. So when it does eventually um, die, it will have no effect on the Earth, although it will be a spectacular sight. Unfortunately, that's going to be long after any of our lifetimes. I mentioned light years. Light years are simply a way of measuring distance in space. If you shine your torch up into the sky, for a moment, 
the light from your torch is travelling at the speed of light, about 300,000 kilometres every second. It reaches the moon in about one second. If you let that light travel for 604 years, it'll finally reach out the distance of the star Antares. Now Antares is the heart of Scorpius, the scorpion in the sky, one of the few constellations that really looks like its name. If you've got your star map with you, hold your star map up towards the west, identify the star Antares on your star map. Just below Antares, you'll see the head and shoulders of the scorpion. And now come back through Antares and stretching up into the sky above Antares, almost overhead, is a back to front question mark. That's the tail of the scorpion. And the very end of his tail you can see his sting quite clearly. It really does look like a scorpion. Let's move on. To the right and above Scorpio's sting is the constellation Sagittarius, who's supposed to represent an archer. I've never been able to see an archer when I look at this set of stars. All I can see is a good old-fashioned teapot. If you're using your map that you've downloaded from the observatory website, you'll see it identified on that map. Look closely and you should be able to identify an upside-down teapot tipping tea over Scorpio's tail. And just off the tip of the teapot, is an interesting point in the sky. If you're in the countryside, you will have noticed the Milky Way stretching far overhead. That band of faint light stretching from the Southern Cross over on your left, past the two pointers, stretching over through Scorpio's tail and off to the northern horizon on your right-hand side. The centre of our Milky Way galaxy lies just below the tip of the teapot not far also from Scorpio's sting. It's a good thing we're a long way from the centre of the Milky Way galaxy. At the centre of our galaxy lies a very large black hole, about several million times the mass of our Sun. We're quite safe from it out here on the edge of the galaxy where we lie. Let's turn to the right again and look to the north. There are a few bright stars in the north and some fairly faint constellations. Let's start by looking directly north. Just 10 degrees or one fist width at arm's length above the northern horizon, you should see a star, probably twinkling wildly because it's so close to the horizon. This is the star Deneb in the constellation Cygnus. We'll come back to the constellation Cygnus in a moment. Just under two handspans to the left is another reasonably bright star, again about a fist width above the horizon. The second star is Vega in the constellation Lyra. And if these two stars form the base of a triangle, above them, about three handspans above the horizon, you'll find the star Altair which to some of you may look subtly yellowish. These three stars 
don't look particularly special to us in the Southern Hemisphere. In the Northern Hemisphere, however, they're known as the Summer Triangle. They're very high overhead and very distinctive from the Northern Hemisphere. So if you ever travel over there, um, have a look for the Summer Triangle made of the stars Deneb, Vega and Altair. Let's go back to Deneb for a moment. Deneb is a blue-white supergiant star over a hundred times the diameter of our Sun. So although it's not as big as Antares, the supergiant in Scorpio was, it turns out that it's an extremely bright star. It's 3,200 light-years away from us. And at that extreme distance, it still looks in our nighttime sky to be a bright star. If we were to place it where the Sun was, we would be blinded by its light and frazzled by the ultraviolet light that it puts out. Deneb is in the constellation Cygnus the Swan. If you've got your star map with you, turn your star map round so that north is at the bottom, and then you'll be able to align your star map with the stars you see in front of you, which are also to the north. Match up the stars near Deneb to identify the swan. Its wings stretch down to the left and up to the right, and its long neck stretches out and up to the left. Altair, just above Cygnus, is in the constellation Aquila the Eagle. And the eagle also has its wings stretching out to the right and left, and its head pointing up and to the left. If you're in dark sight, well away from city lights, you'll be able to see the Milky Way in this region, and you'll be able to see these two birds flying along the Milky Way, heading south. So now we've looked at constellations and stars to the south, to the west, and to the north. We could turn to the east, but in October there aren't that many bright stars, nor any truly distinctive constellations over there. So let's leave that direction until next month. What are the special events and highlights in October 2011? Let's start with the phases of the moon, and the times I'm about to give you are in daylight saving time. First quarter moon will be on Tuesday the 4th of October at 2.15pm. The full moon will be on Wednesday the 12th of October at 1.06pm. Last quarter will be on Thursday the 20th of October at 2.30pm. And new moon will be on Thursday the 27th of October at 6.56am. What planets are visible in October 2011? Let's start with the evening planets. Looking towards the west, we'll see Venus following the sun down, setting shortly after sunset. You can recognise Venus because it's extremely bright and a very white light, shining like a spotlight from the western sky. From the middle of the month, it's joined by Mercury, a much fainter object, but you should see Mercury just below Venus towards the end of the month. If we turn to the east, we'll find Jupiter, our largest planet, rising about an hour after sunset. And through most of the night, 
you'll see it high up in the sky and travelling across to the western sky by early morning. If we move to the morning sky, we find the planet Mars, the red planet, distinctly red-coloured planet in the northeastern sky. In the morning, again, turning to the northwest, you'll find Jupiter setting late in the morning. A couple of interesting events are happening in October with the planets. Jupiter is at what we call opposition on the 29th of October. That means that it's in an almost direct line between the Sun, the Earth and out to Jupiter. At that time, it's at its brightest and its closest to us and through a pair of binoculars, it will look quite spectacular, a little larger than normal, but certainly not visible as a disc to your naked eye. If you have those binoculars, have a look at Jupiter. Look for its cloud bands, see if you can find the red spot, and look for the moons of Jupiter, the four bright moons that you see dancing around Jupiter. On the 28th of October, a nice grouping of planets and the moon occurs, at about 8 o'clock on the 28th of October, look towards the western sky. You'll see a thin crescent moon. And just below it, Venus, looking bright and white. Just to the left of Venus, and also below the moon, you'll see Mercury, the closest planet to the sun. So those are the moon phases and the main planet events that are happening in October. Don't forget you can subscribe to our Sydney Observatory Monthly Sky Guide podcasts on iTunes. This has been Andrew Jacob from Sydney Observatory with a podcast for October 2011.